Do you feel that you aren't enough as you are, who you are, where you are? That there are more milestones you need to hit to finally arrive to be worth something or even to please God? Well, I'm here to tell you enough is enough. This is the Shut Up Devil Show, and I am Kyle Winkler, creator of the Shut Up Devil app author of the book, Shut Up Devil. I am all about shutting down the lies and struggles that keep you from thriving in God's design for your life. And I'm here to do it every single week with a live online audience where I teach and pray, and we just have a good time. We'd love to have you. So join us live sometime on Thursdays at 8 central at kylewinkler.org slash live. You know, it's funny how God confirms these messages as I prepare for them. Like, he never fails. There's always something that's like, this is what you need to preach. Well, in the middle of my study for this one, a friend called me, and he said, Kyle, I need help. I went to update my LinkedIn profile last night, but I just stared at my computer just feeling like I'm not enough. I haven't done enough of significance to put on my profile. I said, wait a minute. You have a doctorate. You've made it in both New York and LA. Just last year, you won Teacher of the Year at your high school. And he replied, yeah, but I feel like none of it is good enough. So I did nothing but eat pretzels all night staring at the computer. I said, this is amazing. You just gave me fresh content for the message I'm working on. (laughs) Word to the wise, by the way. Be careful about being friends with a preacher. We will use anything and everything in the name of a sermon point. Not without permission, of course. But he asked me, he said, what do I do? And I was able to walk him through what I'm about to explore with you, which built up to the one thing to do to get out of this kind of a funk. But before we get there, this idea that we don't measure up or that we are imposters or that we aren't somebody until we reach a certain milestone, maybe an education, a spouse, a house, a certain amount in a bank account. There's always something. Those are the symptoms of what Paul warns us about in Romans 12 too, when he says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. And he's not so much talking about sin as he is talking about striving. He's talking about the big hamster wheel of struggling and hustling and fighting to be something, to mean something, and never feeling like you've arrived. So basically here, Paul says, stop all the striving. Don't conform to the pattern, because it all ends up leaving you defeated, feeling like you've accomplished nothing or mean nothing, when nothing could be further from the truth. Instead, Paul says, think about who you are in Christ. Seriously. He says, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. He continues, 
then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. As I say so much, many of the battles we face from insecurity to fear and anxiety to depression, whatever, they all happen because we don't know or remember who we really are. That's why we've been going through this series on the new you. And the truth we're exploring today is the logical end to what the new you means. It's how the Apostle Paul affirmed the Christians at Colossae, who were being challenged by the local Jewish leaders that there was more they had to do or not do to please God. We'll start here in Colossians 2.8. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. I'll pause there. This is essentially the same thing he told the Romans earlier when he said, stop following the behaviors and customs of this world. In his letters, Paul constantly confronts this idea of more having to be done. And that's understandable, because up until then, both Jewish and Gentile people lived for thousands of years, sacrificing and striving to earn favor with God or a God. So Paul says, stop all these wise-sounding lies. Verse 9, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. Verse 10, so you are also complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. Now try your best to get your head wrapped around what Paul says here, because it's a word for all of us who are in Christ. In Jesus is everything that God is, everything that God loves, everything that pleases God, everything that God required. To God, Jesus is the whole kit and caboodle. And the Bible teaches that the moment you accepted him, all of him was placed in you. At your salvation, you got the peace of God. You got the heart of God. You got the power of God. And you received the gifts and abilities that you need to fulfill what God has prepared for you. So first and foundationally, being complete in Christ means that you are not lacking. But, 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 Kyle, I don't have what the other people have who are successful in what I'm called to do. Boy, did I ever complain about that one myself. At about 17 years old, I discerned that I would be in ministry. So I followed what I thought I needed to do. I worked at a church. I worked for other ministries in leadership. I went to seminary. I got a master's in biblical studies. I got educated and experienced. But when I stepped out to start this ministry, do you think that I felt ready enough? N-O. As a matter of fact, just when I stepped out, I faced a barrage of accusations of just why I wasn't good enough. Things going all the way back to potty training. That's stories in my Shut Up Devil book. But as I really got serious about walking in the call of God in my life, I started to compare my walk to the walk of others. 
It seemed to me that every preacher came from this long line of preachers. Their daddy was a preacher. So they just had the path all cleared out for them, it seemed to me. Meanwhile, I was still struggling to get my family to be okay with me not being a part of their denomination. So I thought, I'm lacking in support. I'm lacking in connections. And as I got older, especially like closer to mid-30s, it seemed like all the other preachers were married with kids and a dog when I'm single, no kids, and tried to dog for two months, which really didn't work out for me too well. So I thought, I'm lacking in the right situation to succeed in this call. My problem was, and really the problem of anyone who feels they're lacking or that they don't measure up, I was comparing my walk to someone else's. And yeah, compared to someone else, we all lack in some area. Because you weren't given the gifts that they need to do what they're called to do. You were given what you need to do what you're called to do. That's why I stress that we have a custom identity in Christ. In the beginning, we were each handcrafted by God, given a unique set of features. Then, when you accepted Christ, you were fit and finished by Him to fulfill something unique. In Christ, you have everything you need to succeed, not everything someone else needs to succeed. I tell you, understanding that I've been custom completed by God has freed me from so much of the fear that I lack something. There's way too much for me to share here, but I constantly see in hindsight how God uses the particulars of my life and the ways I'm different from other people to fit me for this unique ministry and the message He's given me. And it's the same for you. This is why in Romans 12 too, just after Paul encourages to renew your mind to who you are in Christ, he says, then you will know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect for you. In Christ, you are not left lacking, nor are you left to prove anything. The rejection in my childhood made me crave acceptance and affirmation. And so when I got old enough to do something about it, what's the the way almost all of us pursue that kind of stuff, performance and achievement. As I said in the last message, when I learned I could do some things well, then the burden to do it all perfectly was huge on me. Because when you believe that you are accepted through performance, then you believe you keep it through perfect performance. And that's not just with human relationships either. But that's also what many of us believe in our relationships with God. Many of us accept Christ through faith, and then we turn the faith into what we have to do to stay accepted by Him. I certainly did. I felt I had to constantly prove that I loved Him, and that I served Him, and that was all usually by the amount of alone time that I'd spend with Him, or how I fasted or prayed, or how much I served in the church, or how many good things I did to overcome the not-so-good things I did. But yet again, this idea that we have to perform to appease or please is nothing but the pattern of the world. And the rest of how Paul explains that we are complete in Christ really confronts this. You know, according to Jewish 
law, for a boy or a man to be accepted by God, they had to be circumcised. And this was a huge deal in the early church. And you can read through the New Testament letters and you'll see it constantly being addressed. Because people kept insisting that circumcision still needed to be a thing, especially for non-Jewish people who became believers. So Paul says in Colossians 2.11, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. And Paul goes on from there, affirming these believers about how they were dead to sin, about how Jesus canceled the record of wrongs that was against them. Then in verse 16, he says, So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. Paul lists all of these things that for years people said keeps you accepted with God and really accepted in the family of believers. Things that Paul says now only makes people feel proud and wise, but because of Jesus, don't really have any effect on your relationship with God anymore. Essentially, what Paul shows here is that Jesus did all the work for gaining and maintaining acceptance with God. All that's required of you is to put your faith in that. Believer, you got to listen. Hear me. When it comes to staying accepted with God, there's nothing more for you to prove. When God adopts you into his family, which he did at the moment of your faith, his grace keeps you in the family. Now, will he ask you to do things at times? Yes. Are there blessings that come with your obedience? Absolutely. But if for whatever reason you aren't perfect in following what he asks you to do, he doesn't kick you out of the family or withhold his love from you or make you re-earn anything from him. It took me a while to get that. Even in ministry. I was constantly apologizing to God for messing up in ways that I thought let him down. And I'm not even talking about sinful things. Some of you know that I started this ministry doing interviews. I was in my mid to late 20s at the time, fresh out of seminary, and I wanted to broadcast stories. So I hosted a handful of people in a rented studio in Pensacola, Florida. And some of those we'd air on the local Christian TV affiliate. Well, I had scored an interview with a well-known name in some Christian circles, first lady to ever teach on Christian TV, Marilyn Hickey. Some of you might know her. The interview was going good. Until toward the latter third of it, she finished her answer faster than I thought. And I was caught off guard, and my mind just went blank for what felt like forever when the cameras were rolling. I just couldn't think of what to say next, what to ask next. Well, in the scheme of things, I think it was only like 10 seconds, but like I said, it felt much longer. And I beat myself up for weeks over it. Because like I said, when you believe that acceptance has to do with performance, then it's a huge deal when you don't perform perfectly. I thought Marilyn's not going to like me. 
I thought I let God down and hadn't stewarded this gift well. It was just a big deal to me. And the only way I felt like I could make up for it was to perform better the next time and the next time and the next time. Now, looking back, I don't even think Marilyn noticed. And it definitely didn't affect her acceptance of me because a year later or so, she endorsed my second book. And while it sounds kind of silly to say now, so many years later, I learned that I didn't let God down either because it's impossible to let him down. Did you know that? You can't disappoint God. Think about this. To let someone down means that you performed lower than their expectations or that you surprised them with something they didn't see coming. Remember the passage we looked at in Psalm 139 in the first message of this series? David says in verse 16, You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. What this means is that God knew what he was getting before he made you. Nothing you do can surprise him. Therefore, nothing you do can let him down. Get this. If God accepted you into his family through Christ, and he did, then he accepted you fully knowing what you did in the past and what you'd do in the future. Today, when you demonstrate just how imperfect you are, you do not need to prove yourself all over to God again or try to earn your way back into His good graces. Ephesians 1.6 says, To the praise and glory of His grace by which He has made us accepted in the Beloved. When I finally got that revelation, that I was accepted by God just as I am with nothing more to prove, That did more to heal my insecurities and relational issues than anything else. I think it was A.W. Tozer. He's kind of a modern theologian. He said, what you believe about God affects what you believe about yourself. Such true words. When I believed that God didn't accept me, then I didn't think humans could either. But when I finally really got that God accepted me, like the real me, that I didn't live craving people's acceptance as much anymore. It gave me freedom to be the unique person I am in Christ, which then naturally led me to acceptance with the right people. Not all people, but the right ones. According to God's will for me. According to God's will for you. I hear from a lot of you through email, social media. Many of you ask the same questions. Can God really accept me? And I tell you, he already has. Jesus completed the work necessary for God's approval. There's nothing more to prove. Who you are, as you are, is in favor with God and will find you favor with the people that he has for you. Okay. Being complete in Christ means there's nothing lacking in you. There's nothing more you have to prove. 
And there's nothing you have to fix. Have to fix. I have to stress that. I'm not saying there's nothing that wouldn't be beneficial for you to fix. For example, it would be beneficial to my health if I would fix my aversion to vegetables. I was just at a restaurant the other day where I ordered an avocado chicken club and had them remove anything that grows. No tomatoes, no lettuce, no avocado. Just chicken and cheese. It'd be beneficial for me to fix that. Might be beneficial for you to do some things. Maybe it'd be beneficial for you to go to counseling. Maybe it'd be beneficial for you to put some accountability software on your computer. There are lots of things that are beneficial. But as one in Christ, you don't have to fix anything for God to love you. Though your flesh and emotions may be broken, you are whole in Christ. Have you ever seen what's called kintsugi pottery? It's a Japanese jar or bowl, typically, that has been repaired. Its pieces are mended together with gold. Surely you've seen a photo of one of those on the internet. Well, in Japanese culture, they don't hide those pieces in a cabinet as if they're ashamed that it was once broken and then they had to repair it. No, they put them on display and they actually highlight the repair. They illuminate it in gold. Well, we each are God's kintsugi pottery. We each are vessels uniquely broken in different ways, both in our past and in our presence. And certainly for some of us, the evidence of our brokenness is more on display than it is for others. But because of Jesus, you aren't a person in need of fixing, nor are you someone who needs to hide the damage. Because God has made you whole with gold, the gold of His grace. There's nothing more precious than that. And here's the truth. The broken you, mended together with the gold of God's grace, far more valuable than if you were never broken. Because, oh, the things that God can do with the perfectly imperfect you. Your life can highlight how God repairs. It can be the demonstration of His kindness that leads people to repentance. And there's nothing more valuable than that. And there's nothing you're more qualified for than that. You don't have to prove or fix anything to be ready for that. You just have to be you. In Hebrews 10.14, the author says, For by Jesus' offering, He forever made perfect those who are being made holy. In other words, even though there are things in your life that are still being worked out, none of those things change your status before God. Hear me. Let this free you. You get to be a work in progress and still be considered perfect to God. Okay. To recap the three things it means to be complete in Christ, you lack nothing to fulfill God's plan. You don't need to prove anything to be accepted by God. You don't need to fix anything to keep Him loving you. For your belief has made you whole. But now, 
let me go back to the conversation with my friend. Remember, he was stressing out because he felt his resume wasn't enough, therefore he wasn't enough. And that spiraled into depression, anxiety, and a night of binging pretzels. He said, Kyle, what do I need to do? And there's no condemnation. But isn't that what we all go back to? God, what more do I need to do? You know what I told him? I said, keep being you. I pointed him back to his journey and any real accomplishments that he had. I said, your work in New York and L.A., all the students you've helped get scholarships, the clubs you've started on campus, the Teacher of the Year Award, none of those things happened because you thought you needed to do them to be something. They all just happened by you being you. I said, you don't strive to care for your students. You just care because it's who you are. You didn't even want to be Teacher of the Year, but as you embraced what you are graced with, those things just happened. Just keep being you. And I think that word fittingly encapsulates everything I've been saying in this message and in this series. You were handcrafted by God to represent something about Himself like no one else. And even those things that happened to you between then and now, those things that clearly aren't of God, with your belief in Christ, even they were cleaned and redeemed so that you are made right and made holy, accepted into God's family as His child. There's nothing more you have to do. You don't have to strive and strive and strive to earn anything from God, nor to accomplish His plan for you. But who you are in Christ, with the help of what you have in Christ, will just almost effortlessly take you where striving never could. So right now, May any emptiness you feel be replaced with the entirety of Christ. For He, not any thing, person, or deed, He completes you. May you refuse any voice or thought that suggests you are lacking or that you don't have what it takes. When it comes to being enough, there's no when to wait for. Not when you get educated, when you get married, or when you get that job. For in Christ, who you are as you are is equipped with every good thing to do His every good work. So may you step out from here with confidence in your design and your calling, living fully from His fullness. Fear, anxiety, insecurity, shame, depression. If you're like me, these are more than just occasional feelings. They're constant battles that rob you of opportunities, relationships, and dreams. I spent years trying all kinds of things to get better, only to often be left worse than before. That is, until I realized what was behind my struggles. You see, after years of personal experience and many conversations with people like you, I uncovered 10 devil-crafted lies at the heart of every emotional, psychological, and spiritual battle. Knowing how to silence those lies is the true path to freedom. That's why I wrote Shut Up Devil, silencing the 10 lies behind every battle you face. If what you're doing isn't working, then I invite you to discover how to really say goodbye to the mind games you've been playing and hello to unshakable confidence and courage. Get Shut Up Devil today at kylewinkler.org or wherever books are sold.
And that does it for the Shut Up Devil Show. Remember, God is good and He is for you and we're here for you too every week on my website at kylewinkler.org, on our podcast and wherever you get your social media. And don't forget to consider joining me live sometime on Thursdays at 8 central at kylewinkler.org slash live. See you next time.